Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by Pastor Kevin Kelts. Um, if you have your Bibles, get them out and go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. I am a sports fanatic. I have been all my life. I know some people love it and some people don't. I've just been one of those. I don't know why. I just always gravitated towards sports. Uh, my favorite sport of all time is basketball. And because of that love, I have always loved, um, you know, when I was a kid, I always feel old when I tell these stories like this, but uh, back in my day, um, when I was a kid, uh, we we only had, you know, there wasn't internet, Kagan, and cell phones, and all that stuff. We just had a, a TV, and we didn't have cable. We had uh, a little antenna on the back, and, and we had three t- television stations. Does anybody remember that back in my day? And we had ABC, and we had CBS, and we had NBC. And so uh, programming was limited back then when I was a kid. Um, it was pr- pretty much all geared towards adults. And then, like on Saturday mornings, the comedies would come on, and I watched cartoons, and that was cool. Uh, but then one day, one awesome day, we got a brand new channel, and it was called the WGN coming out of Chicago. And when that happened, my love of sports, it tuned in with the WGN, and now all of a sudden I got all of the Chicago Bull games live in my color TV set, and I became a huge fan of Michael Jordan. And because of that, NBA basketball, and so I love the NBA. Um, some of you guys may not even know that the draft, the NBA draft, happened this last week. But I watched it. I watched all of it. And <laughs> it would have probably been super boring for you. But I just love it. I get into that stuff. And these guys, they're, they're you know, 19 years old. And instantly they become millionaires. And they get drafted. You know, you, you become a lottery pick in the NBA. And, and we're talking... Um, multiple millionaire. And so uh, they were interviewing this young man, and he said something that really got me to where we're going to go today. But they asked him, they said, you know, what would you say? How did you get to where you're at today? You just, how did you do this? My contract for multiple millions of dollars, your dream is coming true. How did you do this? And he just, he was crying. He could barely even talk, but he looked at his dad and he said, it's because my dad, And he said, my dad told me that it's about the little things. It's about the small things. He said, you always show up to work. You always show up to work out. And you just don't skip over the little things. And that that reminded me of a little nugget that if you're taking notes this morning, I want to pass this nugget of wisdom that was given to me years ago when I was a young adult. Um, and and I, was, I was trying to kind of find my way. I was always looking for more wisdom. And, and what was told to me is this. And it, it just... It went off inside of me, and I was like, wow. And I've, I've just learned and learned and learned for years and years now this to be true. But he said this. He said, son, he said, big doors swing on small hinges. Big doors swing on small hinges. 
And what that means is, is that the small things are important. It's important to be faithful in, in the little things. It's important to not skip over the small things that seem insignificant, but they're really not insignificant. In fact, uh, Jesus is recorded by Dr. Luke in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He said this, if you're faithful in the little things, everybody say little. He didn't say the big, huge things that everybody sees that seem so significant and important. He said, no, if you're faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this this, this down. Small things are very important. Small things are very important. So be faithful in the little things. Now, there is a guy that I want to tell you, his story is recorded to us, and it's passed down through history um, in the Jewish scriptures. We call it the Old Testament. And many of you remember the story of David and Goliath, right? Um, I remember growing up in Sunday school and being uh, taught on the flannel graph about David and Goliath. Well, we're going to talk about that story. And there is a, there is a man who, um, he actually comes to us, we know him to be famous as King David, and we're just going to pick up his story and, 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 and to really find out the truth that it's so, the, the small things are important in life, that, that big doors swing on small hinges, and we'll pick up this story in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 31. I'll put it up on the, the screen for you this morning. Uh, this is, this is the, what is recorded. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. Now, Saul is the king at this time, and I'll, I'll uh, explain a little bit more after I read this. And, and so King Saul sent for David, and then David said to King Saul, he said, Let no man's heart fail because of him, for your servant will go and will fight this Philistine. And King Saul says to David, You're not able to go and fight this Philistine? Uh, and, and you, to, to uh, go against this Philistine and fight with him? For you're, you're a youth. You're, you're a kid. You're a teenager. And he is a man of war, and he's been that way from his youth. But David said to King Saul, your servant, he's like, King, listen. He used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it, and I struck it, and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard, and I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David says to the king, the Lord who delivered me from the paw and the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And King Saul said to David, okay go. And I hope the Lord be with you. So let me catch up on what's going on here. At this point in the the story of the Jewish people, this is going, this is the Hebrew nation. This is going years and years, years before Jesus ever came along. There, there is this, this story of the Jewish people and they are now being led by a king, and it's King Saul. The thing is, God didn't want the people to have a king. He wanted to be their God, but they wanted to be like all the other people groups on the earth, and so they begged and they pleaded, and then they said, you know what? We'll make our own king, 
and we're going to pick who we want. We're not even going to ask you about this. And they picked this guy named Saul. Now, Saul was not chosen by God, and Saul was not a part of God's leadership, was not a part of God's, God's will at all. And so God does love his people, and at this point, he says, you know what? If they want a king, I'll give them the king that I want that will lead them to where they need to go. And so what he does is he goes to his prophet, and his prophet's name is Jesse. And he says, I want you to go, and I want you to anoint this, this, young, this young boy named David. And I won't go into the whole story about that. You can go read in 1 Samuel uh, about the whole story. But what happens is it is a big deal when the prophet of God, like everybody in the nation knows, it's, it's kind of like uh, somebody that's re- very, very famous. It would be, you know, like if the president showed up, everybody would know this guy. It would be like, to me, you know, I've always looked up to T.D. Jakes in, in ministry. Like, if he showed up to my house, and I took a picture, and I plastered that on social media, most people in my, you know, circle of influence would be like, oh my gosh, I know who that is. This was a big deal. Well, it was a big deal when the prophet of God shows up, and and then speaks for God and says, that guy that's the king right now, Saul, is not God's chosen one. And this is the king. And then not only just says it, but anoints him as the king. This is a big deal. Okay? But the thing about it is David doesn't go straight from the, his job that he has at that moment that was tending his father's sheep straight to the throne room and become the king. He has to go back to just tending sheep, okay? Well, as he's doing that on a day and day in and day out basis, the, the nation of Israel goes into a war. And his older brothers are part of the army of Israel. And they have gone off to war because David's not old enough to be in the army. Well, his dad comes to him one day and says, Son, I know your brothers are out there on the front lines. They're fighting. They have to be hungry. Could you take them some food? And David, being a good young man, says, yes, sir, I will. He takes the trip. He gets there, finds out that everybody in the army of Israel is Frady cats. And there's this big Philistine, this, y'all know the story of David and Goliath, this huge giant who's this awesome warfare guy standing and provoking them, and they won't do anything. So they won't fight. They're just shaking in their boots, and David gets mad, and he's like, How can y'all let this guy speak not only just about our people, but the one that's dearest to us is Jehovah. He can't speak about God like this. Somebody has to do it. And and he says, what will be done for the man who who goes and stands up against this guy? And one of the other uh, guys in the army, the soldiers, looks at David and says, well, here's the thing. The man who kills the giant, he is going to get great riches, the king's going to give him great riches. He's going to give him his daughter, his, his daughter's hand in marriage. And his house, his father's house, will not ever have to pay taxes in Israel again. And David's like, okay, I'm in. I will do this. I will sign up. I will fight this. And so the word gets back to King Saul, and King Saul sends for David. And that's what I just read to you. I picked up in verse uh, chapter 1, of, uh, or 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, think about what's going on. David has received a message from God that he is going to be king, and that and he is anointed to be king. But he, like I said, he doesn't go immediately to the throne. 
and become this guy that's in charge and, and, and has all this power and, and all of these things. No, he receives his anointing from God to be king and immediately goes back to just doing the day-to-day tending sheep. You see, the problem is a problem that a lot of us face as, as followers of Christ is, is when we are in our daily devotionals or we, you know, are, are, we go to church and, and God speaks to us somehow, some way, and it's so special and we write it down in that we are not going to stay where we're at, but God has a plan for us, right? It, it's, it's like an anointing. It's like God putting something on our lives and we become so excited about it. But the problem is that you, you, you get that, that vision, you get that dream, you get that calling, whatever it is, and, and then you go home and you go to sleep and you wake up and nothing has changed. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It, the problem with prophecy, the problem with callings and dreams is that they're post-dated. Has anybody ever got a post-dated payment and they said, okay, I'll write you a check, and they said, you said, all right, I'll take a check. And then they said, but it's a post-dated check. And you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, you can't cash it until two weeks from now. And that's frustrating, is it not? Because you need the payment right now, but they're going to give you what you thought you needed, but you can't get it for another two weeks. And that happens a lot as we are walking through this journey called life. This happens when you get this calling and they say you're going to the nations. You're like, wow, man, the prophet of God just told me I'm going to the nations. And then you think, but I don't even have a passport. Right? That, that, that all of a sudden somebody speaks over to you, over your life that you're the head and not the tail, that you're the first and not the last, that you're above only and not beneath, that you're the lender and not the borrower. And you're like, man, I'm just trying to make a way to get this last paycheck that I had to stretch to the end of the month to pay the bills that I do have. I have no idea how I'm going to get Christmas presents this year. And you're saying all this stuff over me that I'm blessed and highly favored and I'm the head, not the tail. It, it, it's when these, you get these, these words and it's kind of like David. David receives this anointing from God, which, by the way, he didn't even ask for. He wasn't praying every day, God, make me king, make me king. I want to be king. No, God, God has this plan for his life that he didn't even ask for, and he anoints him to be king over Israel and then sends him back to take care of the seemingly insignificant things, the day-to-day things. He tells him to go take care of the simplistic things. And I want you to catch that, what I just said. It's important that you catch that. You see, a lot of people in this room, you have an incredible dream about doing something extraordinary for God. And God has spoken to your life, and you've got excited at one point, but most people who in the beginning of their Christian walk have an incredible dream of doing something extraordinary for God end up never doing something extraordinary for God. See, a lot of people think that God's a liar. In fact, I had God tell me that one day. He said, I think, I think God's a liar. I'm like, God is not a liar. He, he is a redeemer. He's a good, good father. That's a good place to say amen. The problem is 
the reason that God told me this, he says, it seems like God is telling a bunch of people who are saying a bunch of things that God is saying. God said this, and these things aren't happening. That's why I think that God's a liar. God's not a liar. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 brings us some insight. And I would encourage you to write that down. Look it up. I'll put it up on the screen for you. But read this, and it's a hard pill to swallow. He says, for you have need of endurance. Everybody say endurance. We do. We do need of, we have need of endurance. We need to endure. We need to endure, brothers and sisters, so that after you have done the will of God, then you may receive the promise. Right here, it doesn't say that you have need of endurance so that you can maybe one day do the will of God. No, no, no. It's that you have done the seemingly insignificant things that God told you to do in his will. And while you are doing those things, you must endure. You have need of endurance after you've done his will because there's a gap between doing his will and receiving his promise. You see, you don't all of a sudden get a a vision, a a, a heart change, new knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that, hey, I'm in huge debt. I need to get out of debt. And all of a sudden you think, wow, man, somebody helps you. And you're like, I need to, to get a budget. And you don't all of a sudden get on a budget for a week and expect to be debt free after that week. Doesn't that, for lack of a better word, suck? It's like, God, I'm doing your will. You have need of endurance. Continue to do the seemingly insignificant things so that you can receive the promise. There's a gap there. You don't read the book like maybe you're having problems this morning in your relationship, your marriage. You don't go and read the uh, great book to read for marriage, The Five Love Languages. And then try to love your wife for one week the way that she needs to be loved and inspect that all the hell that you've put her through for the previous five years just to be washed away. They don't work like that. You don't get a word prophesied over you that you're between doing the will of God and obtaining the promise. You don't get a word prophesied over you that you're going to be God's voice to speak to people in stadiums in the next week. Expect to push the Astros out of Minute Maid Park. Because there's a gap between doing the will of God and receiving the promise. And because of that, the word that's very important is endurance. And I know I'm not getting a lot of amens. but This is good preaching. This is good wisdom. You have and need it into endurance. So David knew this. See, he was anointed by oil, with oil by the prophet Samuel to be the king of Israel. And then he goes back to take care of sheep. He's the king, Daryl. The flowing robes, the gold, the goblets, the power. And he has none of those things. He's shoveling sheep dung every day. Wow. He shows endurance. He shows faithfulness. And after all of that, we hear him tell a story that I want to bring you back to. About he fought a bear and a lion. Okay, let's look at that again. I'll put it up there. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. In his conversation with King Saul, trying to convince him that he can go whoop up on the on Goliath, the giant, he says this. He said, Your servant keeps his father's sheep. And when a lion, everybody say a lion. Like, think about a real lion. 
Have you been to the zoo? Have you watched National Geographic? You know what I'm talking about? Like a real lion. And a, and a bear. And another day, it was a bear. He said, a lion came one day. And then another day, it was a bear. And they came to took, take, and if you're taking notes, in your phone, I want you to highlight a lamb. So important, a lamb. Came to take a lamb, a lamb, out of the flock. Everybody say a lamb. Now, just picture this with me. David is already called out by God. You're the king. You're my chosen one. Is that important? Would you say that David is important in the big scheme of things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Would you say that his life is important? Absolutely. Would you think that he needs to be responsible with his life? For sure. What in the heck is he doing going to fisticuffs with a lion? It, it, seem, it seems crazy to me. It, when I first read it, it seemed ludicrous. See, David is anointed and called to be king over Israel. He's still being faithful, showing endurance, taking care of his father's sheep. You, you, listen, you can't hardly get anybody who, who knows that they're called to be some, something significant, like a king, to do something as meaningless as the day-to-day things as taking care of sheep. I mean, try to ask somebody who knows that they are anointed to take care, uh, to be king, to take care of the sheep, and they're like, don't you know who I am? Don't, uh, are you talking to me? I'm the, I'm the next, I'm the chosen one. I mean, uh, they walk away. I mean, can you believe this guy take care of sheep? Come on, man, you're supposed to be serving me. I'm, 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 I'm something, right? And it says he, he went and he fought a lamb. Notice it doesn't say the bear came to, to take the flock, to take the whole flock. The lion didn't come to take the whole flock. It was just, it was just a lamb. Listen, when you're that important, do you risk your life over a lamb? of them, and it comes to take one, you still got 99, right, Daryl? I mean, that's cool. That's, you're still doing good. Right? You still got 99. I mean, it's just one lamb. And I want you to show something very, I want to show you something very important that David knew. He knew that the enemy may have initially came to take just one lamb, a lamb. But the enemy was not really after a lamb. The enemy was after the flock. But you see, you don't get the flock by coming to take the flock. The way that you get the flock is by taking it a lamb at a time. A small, seemingly insignificant thing at a time because most people think, I mean, what's the big deal? It's just a lamb. I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a bear. It's a, it's, a, it's a lion. I mean, it's just one lamb over here and one lamb over there. You know, we're, we're kind of running into this in the middle of, the, of the, this type of attitude in the middle of this um, epidemic where, you know, I see lots of people who who have fallen into this, you know, it, it, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I mean, I, I still, I go to my job. I still send my kids to school. Uh, but, you know, I, I ask them, you know, how have I seen you at church lately? Well, you know, it's COVID. It's COVID, man. You know, you know, I'm like, well, you've been going to work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You send your kids to school. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we just, it's just social distancing and COVID. I'm like, you think it's not a big deal, but it's a big deal. 
It's a big deal to be here. It's a big deal to be a part of this. It's, it's, it's letting a lamb go here and there. You see, falling out of God's plan doesn't happen overnight. Nobody comes out of a church service all fired up and full of faith, ready to charge hell with a water pistol, talking about I'm ready to lay down my life for my wife. Like Christ did the church, praise God. Oh, man, I'm fired up. I'm going to do something great for God. And then wakes up the next morning and just says, you know what? I think I'm just going to give up on God. I just don't think it's not a big deal. It's not how it works. You know, I've watched people literally get out of God's plan a row at a time. I've seen people come and, and, and be all excited and up on the front row. And, man, we're a part of this. And then, and then some reason something happens, they get offended with something or, or something. And then all of a sudden they're on the second row, you know. And then all of a sudden I just, I, you know, maybe I just don't see them a week, you know. And then maybe a month later, you know, and then you haven't seen them in a year. And the next thing you know, you know, they're getting a divorce and their family's falling apart. And you run into somebody and you're like, man, did you hear about so-and-so, man? The enemy took them out. The enemy didn't take them out. They just stopped stewarding their lambs. They stopped going to war over the insignificant things. I mean, what you have to do is understand that big doors swing on small hinges. You need to realize that people just don't wake up in the morning when things are going good and they're all pumped up and say, you know what, I don't have much to do today. I think I'll just leave my wife. That's not how it works. It, it, it just starts with letting a lamb go here and letting a lamb go there and a lamb here and a lamb, just one lamb at a time. I mean, it, it, it didn't start with, you know, it, 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 like a, a full-on, you know, cheating uh, affair. It, it just starts with one seemingly harmless business lunch with that lady from work that led to another seemingly harmless business lunch that led to texting and then on and on. Just a lamb here and a lamb there. And you tell yourself, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a lamb, right? It, it, it's, it's just a lamb. So what he does is he comes out and he steals a lamb. And most of us will not go to war over a lamb because nobody notices when we lose something insignificant. We'll go to war over if it seems significant, like if the enemy came to take the whole flock, I'll go to war over that. Because people will notice if I lost everything. But if they're just going to take a lamb... If it's seemingly insignificant, that's fine. We think that the seemingly insignificant stuff is not that big of a deal. I mean, after all, it's just that, you know, I agreed that to my wife that we'd never go to sleep angry. But this time she has just gone too far, and i got to stick up for myself. And you know what? I'm just telling you right here, right now, I'm going to sleep on the couch. I'm going to teach her a thing or three, and she'll finally find out. She'll come to her senses, and how'd that work out for you? A lamb at a time here and a lamb at a time there. I'm telling you that you must realize something that David knew. You see, David, if he was here today, he would tell you that the, land, that the enemy was not after just the lamb. He was after the entire flock. He wants it all. But the enemy knows that if he came to you and stood to your face and said, I want the entire flock, that you would go to war, that you would put up a fight, right? Am I right? Maybe. So what the enemy does is he takes a little here and he takes a little there. And your friend calls and he asks, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. Well, you know, it's COVID. You know, I've been looking in the mirror lately. And like, man, people joke about getting, getting the COVID-19, talking about 
gaining 19 pounds in COVID-19. I'm like, man, I think I've gained 25 pounds. And it, it's just a, a little here. It's like, man, you know, ah, man, I'm just going to, I know I've been eating. You know, before I was eating good and I was, uh, you know, exercising. But then it, it was just like, you know what, I think I'll just, I will have that extra cheeseburger. Or, you know, I will have that, I have a sweet tooth. You know, it's my, I've, my dad had a sweet tooth. My, my grandpa, I know, it's okay, I have a sweet tooth. And, you know, I'll just eat a pie, I just, just one piece of pie, I'll eat the whole pie. You know, and 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 then what happens? You know, a lamb at a time. Y'all see where those? It's it it. But it's the seemingly insignificant things. If we would go to fight over those seemingly insignificant things, guys, because it adds up, right? It adds up. So I ask you today, what's your life hinging on? Because big doors swing on small hinges. Years ago, before I was a pastor. Years and years ago, um, I got a degree in, um, and I enjoyed it, um, martial art, and and so I'd had this one job, and and I enjoyed it um, for a while, and then the the um, the whole environment of that work just wasn't conducive for where I wanted to go, and applied for a, another place, and all this, and anyway, long story short, I got another opportunity, and it was a miracle, and I've told y'all some of y'all that story. Uh, God just opened a door for me where there wasn't a job, and it turned out it was this awesome Christian family, and they had this huge business, and they created a position because they believed in me. And I remember going into that job that I was thinking, I was thinking one thing. My dad taught me when I was 12 years old, when I got my first job sacking groceries at the local grocery store, before I went to that job, he told me, listen, he said, the Celt's name means something in this small community. We lived in a very, very small community, but it means something. And if you say our, our last name, Celt's, people know that for hard workers. So I need you to keep that tradition going. So he says, this is what's going to happen, son. He says, you're going to show up early. You're going to work hard in between, and you're going to stay late. He said, if I walk in there and I see you sitting down, not working, he said, there's going to be something to say about it when you get home. And I said, yes, sir. So I went, and I worked, I worked really, really hard. He tells this story. I mean, three days later, he goes into Janita and asks her. She was the, the manager. And he says, how's Kevin working out? She said, I've never seen a, a young man work this hard in my life. I can't get him to take a bathroom break, one break. I mean, if there's not anything to do, he finds something to do. He's helping back in the meat market, sweeping stuff up. He's going over here bringing product to the front. I've never seen a kid work this hard before. And he goes, that's my son. That's how we work. We're known for that. So that's what I went into this job. I said, I'm going to do this. And, and I was there for two years. And, man, such a great company. Um, and, and, and that's how I would do that. I would show up early and I would work as hard as I could. And even when I had got all of the jobs that they had given me for the day to get out, um, that as far as art went, I would go to the back and I would, we had a screen printing department and I would help screen, uh, clean screens. Cause I knew how to do that. I mean, I would get my hands dirty and I'm, I was dressed as in business attire, but I was doing, you know, hard work and labor and I would, I would help push, push a squeegee and man, and the guys in the back really appreciated that. And I could tell that my boss, he really appreciated that. And there was nobody would stay later than me except the boss. And, um, and so that was going on for two years. Well, all of a sudden came up an opportunity for in, where my department, the art department, they are needing an art director. 
And I knew I didn't have the experience. Uh, there would be people that were more qualified than me that would apply for this job, but I thought I'll throw my hat in the ring. So I did. I applied for that position, and, and I was just thinking, you know, praying. And at the time, me and my wife, we had been uh, married for about four years, about five years maybe. We had been uh, faithfully attending this church that had really just radically changed our lives, and, and, um, and it was our lives. I mean, that's all we did was just work and, and, and church. And, and, um, and, and then about the same time, I remember there was a new guy that got hired in the back, and um, I would take my lunch break, and his lunch break was the same time. And uh, he would see me back there, you know, like pushing squeegees and stuff. And so I sat down next to Mike at, uh, at break one day, and we just kind of st- st- hit it off. And he just started opening up to me, and I started opening up to him. And, and turned out he was going through some problems in his marriage, and, and he had four kids at the time. I had one, and helped me. And I was at church the other way, and he was like, man, everything you talk about is church. And I'm like, well, it's because, you know, like Jesus changed my life. And I, I, was, I was really reaching out, feeling like I was, I was doing God's work for this. To, and he was my friend, but I really felt like I had this calling. Well, um, I remember it was not too long after that, I get to work, and um, my phone beeps, and I pick it up, and it's the boss, and he says, hey, I need you to come to the office. Okay, so I go to the office, and I sit down, and Jack looks at me, and he's very, very serious, and he says, "Uh, son, um, I need to ask you, I called you here to to ask you a question, and uh, and it's important. I said, okay. He said, "Uh, there's been somebody been stealing from the company. And um, I've been doing an investigation. And uh, he said, I've been going through lots of people. Last guy that I interviewed yesterday was Mike. You know Mike. I was like, oh, yeah, man, he's my buddy, man. We've been eating together. And I sure like Mike. He said, yeah, well, Mike implicated you as the person that's been stealing. And I was like, what? He goes, oh, yeah, he said that he saw you do it. And I was like, you... I mean, inside, I was, I've always struggled with temper and just anger and rage. And inside of me, I mean, rage came over. And I was, I, I, it was, I was dumbfounded, but I was mad. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to fight this man. I will fight him. Like, that's all I wanted to do is get my hands on him and beat this man up for lying about me. And, and I was like, and then I thought like, Okay, this is how God in my mind. I was like, this is how it is. So, you know, I used to not do things for you, but now I've been faithful for you. And I like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I only do things right. And this is how it turns out. I'm gonna get fired because this dude's lying about me. And then I thought, it was like, man, this other voice inside me said, you know what? Just calm down. You see this guy that employs you as like another dad. He's, you've, Y'all been doing life together like a family. Just be honest with him. And, and I looked at him and I said, Jack, I said, man, you know I love this company. You know I would never do anything to hurt this company. Man, I, I, I did not steal from this company. I, I look at you as family. And so he, he looked at me and... and uh, he said, well, what do, you, what do you think we should do with Mike? And everything inside me thought, you need to fire him, and you need to, you know, I, he needs to be strung up and, 
you know, beat with a a cat of nine tails. I mean, I don't. He needs to be tortured. He lied about me. And then I paused for a second. I said, I don't know. Maybe we just need to talk to him. But I'll tell you right now. I've just been going through things at church, and I said, I think the first thing I should do is forgive him. And he was like, okay. He said, well, the real reason that I called you here, he said, is because I saw that you put your your name in for the art director position. I said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, well, he said, man, I see that you come in early, and you stay late. And I see you go back there, and you... You do the things that nobody asks you to do. And, uh, and he said, I was testing you with that question about Mike. He said, it's true. He said, but that is how a real leader handles things. So it's your job if you want it. And I remember it was like this, seeing this flashes of all these Little things. They seem so insignificant. Showing up to work, getting there early, working hard in the middle, staying late. It's not hard to do. You know, um, being nice to a guy. When, When I've done everything that was asked of me, going and finding things to do. Seemingly insignificant. And then, I remember... I got the job, and uh, the next day, my boss called uh, my kid, and he said, listen, I'm, I'm not going to fire you. And I remember he had told me this. He said, listen, I didn't hire Mike because I thought we needed him. He said, I prayed about it, and I felt like God told me to hire him because he needed us. He said, I'm also going to forgive him. And he, I, I, I remember he, he told him, he said, listen, I... I because what had happened is they had, uh, you had a, a code to get into the, the uh, door to where we worked. And every time he was stealing stuff after hours, he was using this code. And it was kind of dumb, but that's how he got caught. And he says, I know who did it. And so he, he called Mike in and he said, listen, man, I felt like God told me to hire you. I'm not going to fire you. He says, I, I, I am going to start taking some out of your check every week, a little bit, to pay back what you stole, but I forgive you, and I want you to stay here. I remember he, he said, I did tell Kevin that you implicated him, and I had gone to Mike, and I told him, listen, I forgive you. Man, um, I just understand things get crazy in life, and you just didn't want to get caught. Man, I just love you. And so it was like two weeks later, um, I remember walking by the door to my boss's office, and he had this huge window that was always open that you could always see. If the door was closed, you knew not to go in there. You couldn't hear, but you could always see in his office. And there was him and Mike, and they were kneeled down praying together. And uh, he was... He was... My boss was leading him in a prayer to, uh, to live for God for the rest of his life. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it hit me. That's big. 
That's a big thing. And it was swinging on all these small, this little small hinge of forgiveness. You know, I would have felt good for a little bit to yell at him and fight him in the parking lot and, you know, feel like I was right and all my rage and, and, uh, but it was just a little thing for Jack to forgive him and, and he did. And all of those little things equated to something, something so big. So I want to, I want to encourage you today that big doors do swing on, on small hinges. That one act, that one little thing seems so insignificant, but it led to something huge. These little things that we did, they opened a big opportunity. They opened a big opportunity for my, life, for my family to have extra, extra finances and for, for Mike and his, for his life. And, and it, was, it was a huge thing. And I would say to you today, if you're in the place that I was back then, and, and probably many of you are right now, maybe you're in a, a place, a weird place in your relationships or in your finances, uh, in your career, I want to remind you that big doors do swing on small hinges and never despise the small looking for the big. Um, last story that I'll tell you this is um, I remember when I first really felt like I didn't hear an audible voice, but I really felt in my heart like God had called me to preach. And boy, was I excited. I felt like David being anointed king. Like, I was, what was uh, Charlotte's Web? I was some pig. Man, I, I felt important. And uh, I remember I went to my, my pastor. I got an appointment with him, and I told him, I said, Pastor, I'm excited. I got the call. And he was like, that's exciting, son. I said, yeah. I said, I know I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to preach. And I was expecting his next sentence back to me to be, well, do you want to preach next Sunday? And I remember looking at him, and what he said back to me is, that's great, son. What I need right now is somebody to clean the restrooms on Sunday mornings. And I was like, but don't you know, I have this great calling, like this big, exciting, I mean, it's shut up inside of me, this fire, it's got to get out. And he was like, could you just show up and on Sundays and be faithful and clean in the restrooms, just making sure that they're clean before people get here? And when I say never despise the small looking for the big, I had a big dream. And I decided, you know what, I'm not going to decide this fall. So I decided to give myself a title that I was the head minister of the restroom ministry. And I was faithful. And I would go in there, and I didn't just clean those toilets. I would prophesy over those toilets. 
I would pray over those toilets. I would say, Lord Jesus, I speak over these toilets today. Y'all think I'm crazy, but I, this is what I did. I spoke over those. I said, Lord Jesus, as I'm cleaning these toilets, I'm telling you, Lord God, whatever needs to come out, let it come out. God, whatever needs to stay in, let it stay in. If they got the screaming memes, Lord Jesus, let them be healed on my thrones this morning. And I'm telling you, I never got one, one testimony of somebody telling me that they got healed on my toilets. But I guarantee one day when I get to heaven, somebody's going to tell me, because you prayed over them toilets, the screaming memes went away. But my point is, is that I didn't despise the small. I said, if you need me to clean the toilets, I'm going to clean the toilets. I will, I will pray that people are going to get a miracle on my toilets. Because Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little, you'll be entrusted with more. And David knew this, David knew this to be true. He knew this when, he's, when he told King Saul, even he, he, this is David knowing that he's the real king, looking at somebody who thinks he's the king, and he's telling him, I'll go to fight for you and for everybody and for God. And the reason that I'll do it is because I have so much confidence. Now, everybody say confidence. See, he had, he had confidence because he had been fighting and going to battle over the seemingly insignificant stuff. But as you can see in my diet today, I don't have too much confidence when it comes to the resisting the pecan pie. Because when you've been eating Twinkies all week, and somebody offers you that extra pecan pie with ice cream on top, do you have much confidence to say no? No. I read to you Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. I mean, verse 36, I'll read to you. The one right before it, verse 35, says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. You see, there's nothing worse than when God taps you on the shoulder and says, Get in the game. I need you to do this. And you look back at God and you say, I wish I could, but I don't have any confidence. Because I've been getting my brains kicked in a lamb at a time, here and here and here. And I know I should have been doing this, and I know I should have been doing that. But I've been letting the lamb go here, and now I'm looking, and there's not even a flock anymore. And how could you even use somebody as dumb as me and as stupid as me And I've, when I've just not been faithful and I've not been faithful? When you haven't been faithful, you don't have any confidence. Listen. You don't have confidence to fight the battle that everybody sees just because you show up to fight that battle. You get the confidence to fight the battle that everybody sees when you fight the battle that nobody sees. And that's what he had been doing for years and years and years. Faithful in the small things. He says, Jack, when I... When a lion came to take one lamb, I went to battle. When a bear came to take one lamb, I fought that sucker. I took it by the bear beard and I killed it. And so I have confidence. There's something powerful in the small 
things. He had confidence to fight the battle that everybody sees. And you see, it, it was the enemy trying to establish this by, by just letting him, will you go to war over a lamb? Because if you let me take a lamb, you let me take the flock. And if you let me take the flock, then you'll let me establish this come and go policy where if I just take small things, I can come and go in your life. And then when you do that, you allow me to steal your confidence that when God taps you on the shoulders and says, forgive Mike. Guys, if, if I was in a, in a bad place at that time and hadn't been faithful, you think I would have had the confidence to say, swallow my pride and go, you know what? This is what a good leader does. This is what Jesus would do. And do it? No. Man, I would have been slashing his tires and, you know, we didn't have really social media back there, back then. I would have wrote him a very strong worded letter and mailed it to him. Jack. You see what I'm talking about? It's, it's, it's so important about the small things. And I'll tell you this. It's, it's, it works both ways. The seemingly insignificant small things, if we will steward the lambs, if we'll go to war over these things, it works for, for the good. So let, let me tell you something that I was, I woke up this morning, I was thinking about this message, and this is, this is what I'll close with, and we're, gonna, we're about to move into our baptism so if anybody needs to change or, or get ready or do anything like that, I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. But I woke up this morning, and I was thinking about finances. And um, I was thinking about the power of when you invest. And I'll, I'll, I'll put this up. I'll read this to you, the numbers. But there's a power in compound interest. And so if you were to invest this morning and just do something really small, let's say when your kid was six years old, if you put $1,000, it's a small thing. If you were able to, to in, in the way, I remember years ago um, when somebody sent this to me and they were like, this is a 52-week money challenge. And I have this saved on my phone. And I remember we were paycheck to paycheck at the time and I found a way to do this. It was the week number one of the first of the year, you put a dollar into an envelope, and you save that dollar. And then week number two, you put $2 into the envelope. Now you got $3, right? And then week number three, you put $3. Now you got $6. And then four, five, six. And at the end of the year, I was able, paycheck to paycheck pastor, us like we had, we were eating, you know, ramen noodles, rice and beans all the time, I was able to save $1,378 that we had for Christmas. That was there for us at the end of the year. Well, listen, if I wouldn't spent that on Christmas, and if I would have taken a 1,000 of that and put that into a Roth IRA for my child at six years old, just one time at six years old, one time, the power of compound interest, by the time they were 65, there'd be over $2 million in that account. That seems so insignificant. If your child is, I have a, I have a child that's 19 right now. If I put $2,000 into an account for her this year, 
into a Roth IRA, compound interest. What that does is this $2,000, and I leave it in that, that Roth IRA. Well, I, I can't get it out because you just can't. There'll be penalties. But you put it in there. That $2,000 now, the next year, I put another $2,000 in, but there's interest on top of that. And at 11 12%, you're, you're going to have like another $120. The next year, it's going to have that is going to compound the interest on top of the next interest, okay? What happens is this. If I do that for my daughter for eight years, and I invest $16,000 for eight years, just $2,000 each year, and I stop. So a total of $16,000, and I stop. Let's see. By the time she's, I stop when she's 26, when she's done, there'll be $2.3 million in her retirement for her. If my daughter is 16 years old, I have a 16-year-old daughter. If I put $1,000 into a Roth IRA this year and I just match it next year, $1,000, and I just do that for six years, so I just invest $6,000, a total of $1,000, one year, $1,000, $1,000. I do that for six years. There'll be over $2 million in her retirement when she's that seems so insignificant. It seems such a small, like a small thing. Big doors swing on small hinges. So, because our church believes in this, every year around this time, what we do is you guys give to us so much. We want to return that back to you. And we want to do a reverse offering this morning. So every year what we do is we go out and we get these, these gift cards. And the purpose of this gift card is, listen, if you need this gift card, you can go and you can use it for yourself. That's fine. Um, if you don't need this, what we would love you to do is, and you may already be doing this all the time, and you know how awesome it is. It's better to give than it is to receive. But maybe when you're shopping, to walk up to somebody while they're checking out and say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to pay for their groceries and use this gift card. Or maybe you're, you know, at work, and you've just been praying about it, man. There's somebody that's been sticking out. They've just been struggling. You just walk up to them and say, listen, hey, I just wanted to, you know, I don't want anything in return. I just wanted to give this to you and just let you know that you're appreciated. You matter. In the whole world, you matter right now. Somebody is acknowledging you and give this to you. Um, we do this every year because we want you guys, we want to give back to you and give you the opportunity to be able to to be blessed by giving. And all we ask is this, because we love the stories that come out of this every year. Give me or Pastor Jared a call or maybe get on our Facebook and just post on there and say, man, listen, I was in the line 
at so-and-so and such-and-such, and and all of a sudden, man, these people just stuck out to me, and I remembered I had that gift card, and I said, you know, and I walked up to him and said, listen, you just need to know that you have value, that you matter, and I just want to give this to you. Or I just wanted it, and then this is what happened after that. All of a sudden, this and this and this and that and this, blah, 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 blah. Just let us know. Let us know how it happened. So what we're going to do is before you go today, we want to give every one of you a card. So as you leave, we'll be handing these out, and we just want you to be blessed. We just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving to us. This is a think, time of Thanksgiving, and, uh, and so we just want to let you guys know that we're thankful for y'all. Um, it's awesome to be a part of this family with you guys. And this little thing that may seem insignificant, it really could change somebody's life. So remember, big doors swing on small hinges. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have a, a plan for our lives. <laughs> and this morning, we say we have need of endurance. As we run this race, as we go on our journey, the gap between <laughs> getting the dream and living in the dream is hard. But we will not quit. We will continue to realize that these little things are not insignificant. They're very, very significant. And we know the story that David, he, he, was, he was faithful with the small things, and then when it came time for him to fight the giant, he had the confidence. He defeated. You gave him a great victory that day. And then you stepped into being the king, into your destiny. And we're so thankful for that. And Father, what I'm ultimately thankful for is that part of your destiny was this. That one day there was a, a blind man who said to Jesus, Jesus, son of David have mercy on me. And we realize that that going to war over a lamb. Father, it was it was so significant that if he wouldn't have been doing that and being faithful and learning that those those things were significant and learning leadership and learning father the how to endure in those times he never would have defeated the giant, he never would have been king. And ultimately, this man said, son of David, Jesus, you came through the lineage of David. This could have stopped a whole plan of the Savior. So we're thankful. We're so thankful for this. We're thankful that 
what we need is already in us that we just step out in faith and we activate it this week and that you've put people around us. You've put exchange church family around us, connections around us, Father, to be able to do what we need to do. We won't take it for granted. We're thankful for all these things, and we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen.